I'm Jay Mac. And I'm Jess. And you're listening to Base Code Podcast. All right, back for another episode. Oh, yeah, getting into it. Indeed. So, shall we dive right in this time? Yeah, let's just jump in. Let's get in. I think we left off last time with some pretty clear indications that we wanted to cover stuff, and I imagine this could be a relatively long episode for us. So let's let's just get right into it. All right. So what do you want to cover this episode then? What is the stuff that is going to be taking the time? Maybe maybe let's just start like real fundamentally just so we can lay down like if nothing else just like some vocabulary and like a foundation for at least kind of like how we look at testing. Some shared language. Yeah, shared language. There we go. So maybe let's just start with like what are kind of like the you know, if nothing else, academically accepted, like, testing types. Like, what types of tests are out there? Oh, gosh. This could uh, this could get controversial. <laughs> yeah, we'll just name name some of the ones you that pop in your head. I'll name a few, and then we'll kind of just start picking them apart. So, unit testing, acceptance testing, regression testing, end-to-end testing, integration testing. I've drawn a blank now. You want to back me up? <laughs> No, there were so many in there. My mind already got blown. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say like unit and integration. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Like there's overlap with these types of testing. And then there's these like purists that say that certain, like particularly with unit testing, that unit testing can only, you know, touch exactly one thing. It can't touch the database, all this sort of stuff. And there's other people that are like, you know, let's not get caught up in, you know, some of these hard and fast rules and focus on writing, you know, writing good testable code. So. That's probably where I am, to be honest. Like, yeah, I, I imagine I, I was going to guess maybe you were maybe a bit more technical, like you like to define the different types. Look, I used to, I would say, be more. Um, I'm not trying to call you out. Yeah, no, it's one of those things that I almost feel like. Like a lot of developers go through this sort of path and I went through it not just with testing but with everything where you kind of start out, you're a beginner and you start learning things and then you learn about best practices and you learn about all these things and you learn about design patterns and then you just go like absolutely nuts trying to do everything by the book, really strict book, following yeah. all these design patterns and best practices and then you get to a point where you've been coding for a while and you're like, you know, it's more about getting stuff done in a way that's not bad, um, in a way that's maintainable, and not getting so caught up in these, you know, little battles about, you know, what pattern's best and what testing type you're doing and all this sort of stuff. So I've kind of been on both sides of it, I guess. Yeah. I, I love using analogies, and I also kind of do, I guess, like, you know, some woodworking and, and carpentry, like, as a hobby. And it's interesting because like when you start out with those, even something as simple as like making a cut on a board, you know, at first, you know, maybe you don't make that cut exactly right. And I think when you're starting out, you're like, I need a new board and I got to <laughs> remeasure and I got to make a new cut. And, you know, that saw wasn't that saw blade, like I'm going to get a new blade because, you know, that cut was just a little rough. Yeah. But like in a very experienced, you know, woodworker or carpenter or whatever, like they kind of know where 
they can make something fit still. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, where there's some some wiggle room, which is probably a really bad analogy with the joint, but <laughs> <laughs> Sure, yeah. But the point is like you know, they know a little extra glue or, uh, you know, again, a shim. It's kind of knowing what the tolerances are, right? Exactly. And I think experience is the point gives you that. And like you said, this is this is a very common kind of growth uh, process, if you will, to like kind of hold on to those technical definitions. But I think over time, especially with testing, what's I think especially with testing what's very important is to me is to just write tests. And I think I'll dig it up, but I somewhere there was a podcast where they interviewed JB Rainsberger and he's kind of really big testing advocate in the Java community. And um, he's got some YouTube videos and stuff. And again, we'll link all these in the show notes, but you know, he kind of just said that too. He just said, you know, he gives you all these definitions, but kind of in the end, in the closing of his talk or whatever, he's just kind of like, you know, just write tests. Like, don't worry if it's an integration or a unit or whatever. So, yeah, and I think I think part of the the hurdle with getting started with testing or getting started with anything is getting that initial bit of momentum and actually just getting down the road a little way, and then you start to get a feel for things and you see what works and what doesn't work, and you learn. You can never expect to get everything right the first time. And to keep on working on something and, and never never releasing anything until it's perfect. It's yeah. it's an iterative process. It's it's learning, right? So So f- for the purposes of definition though, let's at least outline at least kind of maybe the two major pillars of testing, which what I would I would think would be the unit style testing and then the integration style tests. Okay. And we can probably categorize some of the several others we mentioned into one of those groups. But True. For me, again, loose, kind of loose definitioning, but the units are definitely low level. I think, I think most would agree they're low level tests. You're trying to test something in isolation. You know, you're testing this very simple method and just input and output of that method. Whereas an integration test, you know, is definitely higher level. It's going to affect potentially more pieces. Maybe there's less isolation. Maybe there's less control over the system and you're actually kind of allowing it to run larger chunks of code you know not just little units right just as comparison so that's kind of my rough definition just just to help the audience i think often a unit test will be running code that a user of the system will never directly run themselves um, or interact with i guess whereas an integration test you're often doing things that the user would be doing from the outside so that's a cool definition. I, I haven't thought of it that way. Like from the user's perspective, like they're not going to be hitting code that you're probably unit testing, but like yeah. an integration test might be something that mimics their flow or path of, of an action they take. That's, that's cool. That's a good definition. Yeah. And even if you're testing like an API endpoint, you're testing it from an outside user's perspective. Even if in this case, the user is, you know, a web browser or um, even the front end of your code might be considered the user. It's interacting with a public side of your code as opposed to more of an internal side of your code. No, I totally get it. I think it's cool. I mean, I think strictly as well with integration, oftentimes with the unit test, you're testing individual tiny little chunks and you might run, test a whole bunch of different scenarios and you'll know that each unit works perfectly. But you have no way of knowing if, you know, if, if this piece of code 
over one side and another piece of code if they can actually talk to each other. Those yeah. two pieces of code might function perfectly on their own, but how do you know whether they can whether they can talk? And often an integration test won't go quite as deep into the running all these different scenarios. It's more just hitting it at a higher level saying, can these two things sort of interact with each other as expected? And if they can, we know that the individual pieces are tested. Yeah. And there's there's a great um, kind of photo I've seen going around on the internet where well, there's a few different ones actually, but they'll have, I think one of them is is in a bathroom and they've got a like a hand towel dispenser thing and a hand drying thing. And individually those two things were working fine, but the way they were installed kind of next to each other is when one was turned on, it would like trigger the other one to start blowing toilet paper and stuff everywhere. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I've, I know what you're saying. And there's definitely some, some gifts that are out there. Uh, I think one of the ones I'll use in my slides a lot, you know, when I'm presenting on testing is like, there's two windows and individually each window opens, but they open in a way that you can never open them together because they would hit each other. Yeah. And there's another one where there's, there's like these two automatic doors and when you open one, it triggers the sensor for the other one. And then when the other one closes, it triggers the sensor for the other one. And so they're stuck in this endless loop where they're triggering each other. Yeah. So, so good examples, kind of real world, silly examples. And, and we'll link some of those as well, because they're fun to kind of see in action uh, and just kind of giggle at. But it's a good example of the boundaries too, of these types of tests and why you might want both because yeah, you can totally test that something works great in isolation, but it doesn't mean that it works kind of as it integrates uh, with other parts of the system. Yeah. So, so I think from there, you know, you can think of things like end-to-end -end testing where you test something from one end of the system to the other. That would fall under the rough category of integration. Yeah. And that'll often, you'll see that expressed as E2E testing. Yeah. And then I think, you know, from there, again, you can normally categorize a lot of them. So like if you're writing a browser test or an HTTP test or something like that's going to be obviously a bit more integration-y because you're, you know, firing something, even if it is a local network, you know, or some kind of loopback, you're still kind of calling the full on system. So, so I think with yeah. that, you know, it's good to know probably at least those two high level kind of categories of tests yeah but again I, I maintain at the end you know write the test that works for you so a lot of times you know again at these talks like people will ask okay well i got this existing code and again it's kind of why I, I did confident laravel but it's like how do i how do i test it like what's the easiest way where should i start what test should i write first yeah. and i think there's a two-part answer there but the first part is kind of use whatever works whatever allows you to kind of get in there and start testing and a lot of times to be fair that's an integration test it's easier to write that because you don't have to worry about some low-level aspects of the code, which we might talk about here in a minute, but you can kind of just write a really high level. It hits the whole system, you know, executes a lot of code, but in the end, it lets you know, hey, did that work or did it not? One other type of testing I wanted to quickly touch on is acceptance testing. And this is one of those types of testing that is often not actually done as an automated test because obviously you've got automated tests and then you've got manual tests and acceptance testing is actually generally to say has the feature been built as it was you know intended as, as as the customer ordered or the user wanted or whatever it might be yeah totally so let's talk about some of the tooling that like automates all this okay yeah it can get a bit complicated 
between languages and between sort of these testing frameworks, you'll often have, you know, what's often called a test runner, which is the code that actually will um, find your test files, work out how to run them mm-hmm. and physically run them. Yeah. You might then have a separate assertion library, which might also be built in, where True. it's actually what you're using to say, I expect that this is the result of this particular scenario. Um, you've often got um, either built-in or separate mocking libraries that allow you to mock out certain um, bits of code. Ooh, mocking. Yeah, we should we should talk a little bit about that if we have time. Yeah, with different sort of different languages and different libraries, some of them are, are built in to the same packages. Sometimes you've got to like grab them individually and pair them together. Pretty much every language I've ever programmed in has some kind of unit style testing framework out there like and in fact it might even have that in the name so like you know java has j unit like there's q unit there's in unit for you know dot uh, net um, php has php unit so yeah there's literally a unit testing framework out there and that doesn't necessarily restrict you from writing integration tests just to be clear of course but that normally comes with a test runner. It comes with basic assertions to verify that the code's behaving certain ways. And just as a tangent, like those assertions are things like assert that this is an integer, assert that this variable's empty, you know, assert that the code did this, assert that the object's an instance type of, you know, this. So yeah. it gives you all these helpful ways to kind of do that verification, you know, with nice expressive methods. And as you get sort of higher up the testing, you end up with assertions that might be testing that a HTTP status code is um, is correct or that the was you were redirected to a certain place. Um, so at the end of the day, you're still making assertions, but at these different kind of levels in your code. And exactly, like you said, like as you get more packages or uh, things that add additional assertions, there's libraries for that. There's, you know, you can have all sorts of stuff. And there's also styles in which you can write these assertions, maybe they're a little more like fluent API than more just simple method calls. So it all kind of just depends. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's that's really kind of the foundational aspect of these tools is like you write a method, which is normally some kind of test case. And within that test case, you perform assertions on how you expect the code to behave. And whether that's a very low level behavior or a very high level behavior, you know, that's the goal is test case has assertions. And when you get into doing things like browser testing, then you need other tools, things like, you know, Selenium um, or like Headless Chrome, where you're actually running a full web browser because you're needing to execute JavaScript plus making, you know, basically doing everything a user would do, even down to moving a mouse over things. Um, Then, yeah, you'll have some of these testing frameworks that you end up booting an entire browser. If you've ever ever watched a browser test, I still get a kick out of watching. Um, like it's it's like a robot is is remote controlling your computer. It's just running through very quickly, kind of you know clicking on links, drop downs will fly out, things will happen, forms will save, loaders will happen, all right there. It's pretty cool to watch. It's funny if you ever want to convince like your boss or uh, you know the sales team or marketing or anything. Those are the ones that I've actually found. They're quite showy. <laughs> Where they're kind of like, oh, wow, okay, yeah. yeah, this we need to do more of this testing thing, yeah. like because of that. So honestly, like another reason why writing maybe high level integration tests for an existing legacy code base, like you know, might give you more bang for your buck because you can go 
put that in front of someone, make sure it's not running headless. It's actually bringing up a browser and interacting with the client's site or your company's site. It's pretty impressive. And even for someone who's not that technical, it allows them to see how much work is happening, you know, in seconds and yeah. they're going to automatically understand the confidence. It's like, hey, I just placed a test order for our most important thing that we do, selling products, and it works. Yeah. So given, you know, these kind of high-level definitions and given maybe some guidance from the language that you're working on, like we, we mentioned this, I think, in the, in the kind of the first episode of this testing mini-series is like having code be more testable or like, you know, you were saying sometimes you come across code and it's not testable. Yeah. I guess, what are some of the things that you spot where you're kind of like, oh, this is going to be hard to test? Like, what's a couple examples? One of the, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things, but anytime you see a class being instantiated or an object being instantiated with $var equals new object, yeah, that's generally going to be a problem to test at a unit level. Um, not at an integration level, but at a unit level, because... When you're testing at these lower levels, you generally want to mock things so that you're not testing sure. too much. And a great example is maybe you're testing some code that goes and hits an external API. And when you're running your test, you don't actually want, when you're running your unit test every single time, for it to actually make this HTTP request to some third party. If you can mock that request so that the code thinks it's, it's communicating with it, but it doesn't actually uh, communicate with it, you can then mock what comes back so you can test different scenarios. And just as a sort of tangent, this is also a really powerful way of developing because you can actually test different scenarios much easier using a test than you can manually. I can say, I want to test how the code handles when this particular API comes back with you know a 500 error. Sometimes it's hard to actually simulate that thing really really happening the only way to do it is mocking it unless you know you're using a third party that has a sandbox that has special ways of simulating errors but yeah oftentimes uh, mocking it is is the best way to test all of the different scenarios yeah i mean that new operator is definitely kind of the first indication that it might be a little bit difficult to test certain bits of code because when you're testing code like you need hooks like you need these little ways to kind of plug into the code and if the yeah. code is running and making these objects and there's kind of no way to have any kind of touch the code in a way or like manipulate the code to your point in a way, like you're going to have a hard time testing it. And so that's why things like dependency injection. So like if it comes in as a method parameter or a, or a class, you know, you send it in when you instantiate the class. Well, now you have a hook, right? Because you can send in something that you can now control some object that maybe you can pay attention to and this is all mocking which you know i think we'll just do a whole episode on mocking to be honest yeah so but anyways the point is it's like now you have a hook and it's going to allow you to start doing some things with that code it's you know just like you pass in a parameter it doesn't even have to be an object like if you pass in a parameter so if you have an add method and you pass in you know five and one well now you know that the result you know it should return six when it behaves you know, as expected, right? Yeah. And that's the whole point. Like the more control you have over the code, the easier it is to test, really. Yeah. If you 
look at some code and it's kind of very black box and it's kind of doing everything and it's really long, you know, too. Sometimes it's just doing so many things. It can be very difficult to determine like, okay, well, how do I kind of hook into this and what exactly do I test? This thing does like 15 things, which is also why, you know, even going back to some of those base code practices, it's good to break up those big blocks because that's going to result in smaller blocks of code, which is normally easier to test simply for the fact that it's probably going to be doing one thing. And now you can, again, get back to testing that input output at kind of a unit level. Yeah, because a test can only interact with something at a certain point. If you've got a method that's got, you know, 10 different code paths in it, it's a thousand lines long, you can't unit test bits of code inside that individually. You've got to call the the method on the outside. Whereas if you can break it down into small parts, test those parts individually for all their different scenarios, make sure that everything's talking together with an integration test, then you've got the coverage of testing all your scenarios without having to write necessarily an outside test for every single scenario. Yeah. So just for clarity, you're, when you say outside level, you're, you're meaning like more of an integration test. Like an AP, like a HTTP kind of test. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes that makes total sense. And I think that gets into the practice, which again, we'll, we'll probably talk about this. We're going to touch on all these topics, honestly, in future episodes. You know, this is really more of kind of just, again, laying that foundation of some terms and so forth. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of the outside in approach is ultimately what we're saying here is like, you kind of start with that integration test, it drives you lower into the code, where you're going to write maybe more of a unit test with more examples. Yeah, But that higher level example really only tests kind of one thing, but it's testing it all the way through. Yeah. There is one other um, type of test that I wanted to, to quickly touch on. And it's it kind of comes back to these acceptance tests. But it's a language, and I always get this confused, whether the language is called Gherkin or whether it's called Cucumber. Like the specification of how you write things, like given this, when this, then that, that's Gherkin. Okay. Cucumber is uh, the actual tool. Okay, cool. That's what, yeah. So it's basically a, a way of writing tests in human, like in, in human readable English. You, you're writing a specification for a particular scenario and it might start off saying, uh, given I have, um, you know, these, these users in the system, as a administrator, when I do this, I expect this. And it's literally written in English words that a non-technical person could read and potentially even write. And you have these test runners that can actually pass this and convert it into actual like test methods that get run. And one of the cool things that I think of this is think with this is your test files effectively become a, a deliverable because you can actually give them to your customer and go over them with your customer. And if all your features are defined as these user stories and these these specific scenarios, it's it's a really interactive, good way of doing testing, I think. Yeah, it's a human language that you can use to kind of share how you want to test something. Or honestly, like if, if your team is savvy enough, other members could use this Gherkin style, you know, vocabulary. And it's easier as a developer now to parse because we're all kind of sharing that language, which... Yeah, there's a lot of tools that do that. I think Hat and uh, PHP also yeah. will leverage Gherkin as well. So there's a lot of Gherkin-based test runners or testing frameworks out there that you know you could use. So that's a good point. Yeah. I think there's going to be tons more to cover. We're definitely going to hit on these topics much more. 
uh, definitely mocking too. So, but you know, the point is, is like, you know, these tools are out there, they're available, uh, to write your tests, you know, start with what's easy. Don't worry so much about the, you know, vocabulary and the types of tests. Like honestly, in the beginning, like what matters is that you're starting to test your code. Like that's, what's most important. And, you know, as far as like things like when do you quit or how many tests do you write? Like that goes back to kind of what we talked about in episode one of just like that confidence. Like if you're confident the code is working as you expect, like if you believe the code's working as you expect, you don't need to write a hundred more tests or whatever. Like the, the number of tests you could write for an ad method is infinite. You know, there's all sorts of different numbers that can be added up and summed together. So, you know, at some point you got to say, hey, look, th- this thing's working, you know, the way I want. Yeah. You kind of, you test the happy path, you test you know, what happens if I throw in a, a letter instead of a number, you test a few of the edge cases and that's a good bit of terminology. We should just make sure it's clear, like happy path. I think probably the technical bit would probably be like the code path that runs without exceptions or failure. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I like that. And then, yeah, anything else is is kind of the, um, yeah, I guess is, is the not happy path. It's the sad path. Sad path. Yeah. I call it, I call it sad path. I mean, why not? I mean, to the yeah. point of uh, symmetry and base code and naming stuff, like that's the polar opposite. You yep. got a happy path and then you got sad paths yeah, and path, yeah. you probably have a bunch of sad paths. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got edge cases is another bit of terminology, right? Well, I would consider those sad paths. They're not always a sad path though, right? All right. Hit me with it. Let's let's finish with a debate. Okay. So. What, what's, a, what's an edge case then? This is a good question. I've always thought of an edge case as more a the user wasn't supposed to do. It's just something that the user will do that they should be able to do that you may not have thought about. Oh. Or you might not be likely to think about. So So an edge case could be a happy or a sad path, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. I mean, often, I guess, edge cases come about as a sad path when they should have been a happy path. So the path's in the code, and then you have edge cases, but edge cases are a bit more like things that maybe you don't always think to test. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, if you, if you look at the terminology, you've kind of got like your main use case, right? Sure, sure. This is the main thing this thing is supposed to do, but you've got these edge cases, which are these these little kind of things on the side that um, not many people will do or not many people will hit, but they're still, to me, I think they're still generally a use case. It's just not a, a common use case or a thought of use case. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think that's fair. You're right. They're not necessarily just sad paths or just happy paths they're more of like this embryonic path that maybe you haven't yeah. totally developed yet and written a test for and therefore haven't determined if it's happy or sad so you gotta it's this thing that maybe you didn't think of and you gotta write so yeah that's fair edge cases boundary cases boundary cases is yeah it's another good word yeah yeah all those are the same thing so yeah okay good enough well let's cut it off there and cool. uh I think, what, next week? What are we going to do next week? Is it, you want to do mocking, maybe? So we were going to do six episodes. Was mocking included in that, or have we just created a seventh episode? I have mocking as episode four. So next time we're going to talk about kind of like where to get started. And then let's jump into mocking. Because I think there's more to cover before we get into something that's on the surface feels complex like mocking. We need to talk about the tests themselves a little bit more first. I agree. And I think... A common thing I hear people say and a, and something I experienced myself was literally, how do I start? I know testing is a good thing. I've been sold on testing. I love testing. How do I actually start using it? Yeah, I think that's a natural progression. And let's keep on that because 
Hopefully we've convinced you that you should start testing and this episode gives you some ideas about the tools you can use and the types of tests you can write. And so yeah, next time, okay, let's write that test. If you hear some of these different ty- these these names of tests and test types and they don't make sense or there seems like they overlap, don't worry. Yeah, it's it's made to be more complicated than I think it needs to be and I still get confused by what people mean by them. So just write tests. Don't worry. Don't worry about the rest. Exactly. Just write tests. All right, cool. Uh well, That's it for this time. See you next time. All right, see you. Show notes for this episode can be found at basecodefieldguide.com slash 12.